Hi, this is Crystal Cyrus from the OOTW podcast, and you're listening to Pop Goes Your World. I'm Chris McBrien, and the pop culture from Generation X is everything to me. And I'm Derek Myers, and I'm here to educate Chris on the great pop culture of today's generation. Episode 160, The Rock Movie Review. Chris McBride along with Derek Myers and this is Pop Goes Your World, the pop culture podcast for the generations. You can reach us on Twitter at Amaron underscore DM and at C McBrien and popgoesyourworld.com is our website with all of our contact information. Derek, what is new in the world of pop culture for you? Hey, Chris. Uh, not a whole lot. I've had a lot of uh, stuff going on this week just between work stuff and personal stuff. Haven't had a lot of free time to sit and uh, consume pop culture that much. The only thing I did have a chance to do was I think I mentioned on last week's show, I had started watching the Netflix series The Queen's Gambit. Yes, you mentioned uh, that. And That's I had a couple, I think I had one or two episodes to go when we recorded last week. So I immediately watched those after we recorded our show. Uh, it was great. The, the miniseries itself was quite strong and the last couple episodes were were really good i was very happy with the ending that's always my risk with uh with a movie or uh more so with like a mini series you get towards the end of it and you're sort of thinking how are they going to wrap this up and in many cases you get either a an unsatisfying ending where they don't wrap up loose ends maybe in part because they're hoping to get renewed and they think oh we need to leave some sort of a cliffhanger but too often it's just because the the writing is bad but with this one it was really good it, it's not not uh, the kind of thing that you would want to have a sequel for. It's not like Game of Thrones where it's this long, sprawling epic. It's a very self-contained story. I believe it was seven one-hour episodes, and it, it's a very good story, very complete story, and it uh, it was good. I, I strongly recommend it for anyone who's looking for something to watch. It's it's short, so you can really you could binge the whole thing in a weekend. And yeah, I was very very pleased with the way it came together in the end. So that's really the only newish thing that I've had a chance to watch this week. How about you? What uh, what pop culture stuff? is going on in your life not a whole lot as you know i'm a pretty busy guy between work and the family and that sort of thing but i wanted to mention a little bit about the podcast if i could in my time up at the front here uh so last week obviously i debuted my new song which was called pop culture world uh, you know uh, appropriately and you know i, I mentioned that i was going to put it up on itunes it's now hit uh, over ten thousand downloads i was going to use the money to go back into the studio and record another song, but I think I'm just going to spend it on beer. There you I, go. Yeah, I just wanted Did to mention. You, I, I didn't. I didn't. Uh, I, I didn't know that your wife was uh, was going to download it ten thousand times. But uh, <laughs> it was my mom. I, my mom. Oh, it was your mom? Your yeah. five thousand from your mom and five thousand yeah. from your wife. Yeah, okay, so that, 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 that makes a lot more sense then. Okay, that's how that worked. Uh, yeah. I wanted to mention that, that, that me doing the song last week is not the first time that I've actually. Uh, written a song and sang a song and debuted a song on a podcast. Uh, before I did this podcast, as most people know, I think I used to do a podcast on fantasy baseball. It was called Dear Mr. Fantasy. And 
uh, I got together with a bunch of guys from the industry. It was like Justin Mason. You know Justin Mason, our good buddy. I do. He's been on our show a couple of times. Yeah, he has. So um, yeah, him and Scott Bogman and Chris Welsh and Joe Pizapia, Mike Werner and Adam Newman. We all got together and we had this contest called Mr. Podcast. And and what it was was we all had to do a talent. We had to answer a bunch of questions and we had to do a talent section. And for my talent section, I actually sang a song. And uh, this week, because I did the song last week, I went back into the archives and I was like digging everywhere to see if I could find this the, sh- the song that I did back on uh, on their on their show. It was on Friends with Fantasy Benefits was the name of their show. And you know, lo and behold, as luck would have it, I found it. So I thought I would play it for everybody so they would just see that the first time that I actually did a song on a podcast. So Derek, um, are you are you ready to listen to this? I don't know, man. This is now three weeks in a row. I don't know if my ears can take it. But when you said you did like a contest and you had a talent component, I was a little worried you were going to say you did the swimsuit competition and you were going to post pictures. So if that's the alternative, I think I'll take this. You'll, you'll take it. Now, the thing is, the, the, the audio that I have and I'm going to play for for everyone and yourself included in just a minute is it, there's a bit of a setup in it. So like I, it's me setting it up and talking about what I'm going to sing. And then it's me unleashing the song. So uh, are you ready? Is this going to take 20 minutes or is this like a nice short clip? Oh, it's like um, two minutes long. Okay. If okay. I, I'll give you two minutes. All I right. think you've earned it. I think I think your track record is is even Steven right now. Mm-hmm. One not so great, one really great. And uh, so let's see. This will be the tiebreaker. Then we'll see how the tiebreaker goes. All right. So here it is. This is uh, back from uh, 2015 uh, from the Mr. Podcast competition. And it's me singing my song. Here we go. Exactly. And the thing is, because how do I explain this to you? I'm really um, white. So so I I thought I'd rap for everybody. But you know what I thought is, you know, if anyone that listens to the show, you know how much that I love Peter Dinklage. But, you know, with the whole Dinklage thing we got going on. We do know that. So I thought maybe it would be a good idea if I rapped while I also was doing an impression of Peter Dinklage. (laughs) This has classic written all over. I'm telling you, Chris. B I G P O P P A, no info for the DEA. Federal agents mad because I'm flagrant. Tap my cell and my phone in the basement. My team supreme, stay clean. Triple beam, lyric of dream, I be that. Was that you? Pat, you see, at all. That's in holsters, girls on shoulders, playboy. I told you, be a mice to me. Cruise too much or lose too much. Step on stage to girls, boo too much. I guess it's because I run with lame dudes too much. Me lose my touch. Never that. <laughs> it ain't a problem to get the gat with the two players at. Throw your rollies in the sky, wave them side to side, and put your hands high. Will I give the girls an eye? Play a please, Lear Clee, Midget C, B I G B, Flossing Jig on the cover of Fortune. <laughs> Five double O, here's my phone number. Your man ain't got to know I got the door, I got the flow down, Plizat, Plat, Plus, like Plizat, Dangerous, like Trizat, leave your ass, Plizat. Yo, yo. Oh, wow. yeah. Wow. That was yes. impressive. I dropped the mic and walking high... off the stage. Holy shit, man. Why does he have such a high-pitched voice? Is what you I can like hear him to... stopping to suck the helium in, right? <laughs> <laughs> that was my favorite part about that entire rap was those nice, awkward two-second pauses between. It really let us build into it. I didn't. Uh, I didn't. Ca- I didn't catch that. That was why you were pausing in the song that you were inhaling <laughs> the helium. I just thought it was. How <laughs> do you think I got I my voice so high? What's I that? I don't know. You're, you've got technical tools. I figured maybe you do it like a, a, a some sort of weird effect on your voice. But no, I, I know. I, I know how much you love practical effects. So I should have 
put it in. It was a practical effect. I got a, I got one of those big foil balloons, you know, with like the the, the, the thing that goes in it, and I got a straw and I stuck it in, and then okay. I just inhaled the helium, and then I, but then I would like wrap a verse, and then my voice would start coming back, so I'd have to suck some more helium and go again, and then that's where I, it was Bogman there. That, that was Bogman calling me out. <laughs> So it was. Oh, man. Yeah, I'm, just, so. I'm just impressed that you were able to do the whole thing live. Like it didn't sound to me like it was a bit that was pre-recorded. No, like you, it was you obviously live. did that yep. sort of on the air when yep. the mic was hot. Yeah. So I, I got to tip my hat to you because that was, uh, you know, as, as bad as it was, it was still pretty good. <laughs> yeah. It was just you know me being goofy. But uh, and speaking of me being goofy, here's your dad joke of the week. All right, Derek, I got two for you this week. A dad joke and then one that's kind of dirty. Okay. <laughs> okay, so my dad joke. Derek, what do sea monsters eat for lunch? Hmm. I have no idea. Fish and ships. Oh. If that was the dirty one, I had a better answer for you. But... No, no. It's... Well, I have another joke. And okay. I figured since we're reviewing The Rock this week... And since it's about Alcatraz, I thought I'd tell a prison joke. Uh-oh. Okay. <laughs> Except it's R-rated. Oh, my God. Okay. It's, Let's it's, hear it. It's not a one-liner, though. It's like one of, like, like a story joke. You know what I mean? You know, we try and keep these shows under an hour. Is this going to... Nah, it won't be long. Okay, okay so, so there's this nerdy little guy that worked at a bank, and he embezzled money. And he got caught, and he went to jail. And when he gets there, his cellmate is this huge, mean biker guy like with tattoos and scars and this big guy says to him you and me we're gonna play a little game called house you can be the mama or you can be the papa and the guy's like all scared he's like well if those are my choices i guess i'll be the papa and the big guy says okay now get over here and Great, man. Wow. Is that a pledge pin on your uniform? Doctor. Doctor. Detroit. Detroit. Oh, yes, the Haley Selassie Pavilion. Oh, yes. Yeah, I've seen that. Yeah, I've seen that. Yeah, I've seen that. Whiskey. Fun prophylactic. Soiled. Bring him home. You're my friend. I'm going to try and help you. Randy Jackson from the Jackson 5. Really? In Philadelphia, it's worth 50 bucks. Stop. Look at that escargot. Okay, so it was over to you this week, Derek, <clears throat> and you. We, as part of our Sean Connery appreciation, we we did our top five Sean Connery performances that we liked, and then we followed that up with me picking a Sean Connery movie. And last week, I did Time Bandits from 1981, and then it was over to you, and you picked The Rock from 1996. So, of all the Sean Connery movies you could pick, all the James Bond ones, you chose this one. Maybe you could just start us off with a little synopsis of just why you picked this one. Sure. So of all of Sean Connery's movies, the two that I have seen the most by a long shot are Indiana Jones and the Last Crusade, where mm-hmm. he plays Henry Jones Sr. Right. And this one, The Rock. And I honestly couldn't tell you which of the two I've seen more often, which uh, should say something about how many times I've seen this movie, because that Indiana Jones movie, I've seen a ton. And he was, sorry, uh, he was Henry Jones Sr.? Does that mean Indiana Jones? He was name? Indiana Jones' father, yes. But Hen- oh, uh, but Hen- he wasn't Henry Jr., Indiana. Well, he was, 
but anyway, that's a whole other podcast. Okay. Um, yes. So the rock for me is one of those movies that I remember seeing in the theater. I really enjoyed it when it came out. I bought it on Laserdisc uh, as my first uh, medium on which I owned this movie. And then eventually I also purchased it on DVD. They put out a special Criterion Collection two-disc set with all the special features and bonus stuff. I'm a real uh, sucker when it comes to like the Criterion super special editions of stuff. I love – if it's a movie I like, I want all the extras. I like oh, yeah. I love I love an audio commentary. I love bloopers. I love how you, you know, behind the scenes featurettes of how you do some of the special effects, all that stuff. And more and more nowadays, that stuff just comes standard on your typical Blu-ray release. But back in the day, you a lot of DVDs came out where you could either buy just the DVD, but had the movie. That was it. And it was maybe 15 to 20 bucks. Or you could buy the super duper special deluxe version, which had all those extra features, which usually was like maybe around 30 bucks. And then from time to time, you would get something like the Criterion Collection, which is like uh, it, it's it's a special brand of films that is designed for like the movie lovers lover. And they have a, uh, you know, only certain movies get Criterion treatment. I actually have a ton of them in my collection and they just they they don't pull any stops with Criterion. It's absolutely everything you could ever want to know about a movie in any way, shape or form. And they jam it in there on the special features. So I was actually kind of glad that I had that Criterion collection, which I honestly forgot about, because when I went to fire up my Laserdisc player this week to watch The Rock, the Laserdisc player stopped working. And seeing that it's a technology oh, that's no. 30 years old, yeah. I think I'm going to have a little bit of a problem. Oh, no. Part. So I was then scrambling to see if The Rock was available on Netflix, and it was not. No, it's and not. And my wife turned to me and said, I'm sure you've got this on DVD. And sure enough, that's when I found the Criterion Edition. I'm nice. like, I totally forgot I owned this. So I was able to finally uh, watch it again on uh, on DVD. But uh, So anyway, yeah, the, the main reason I wanted to watch the, that I suggested this one is – uh, I, I wasn't sure if you had seen it before. I think you had mentioned you saw it once maybe in the theater, and but you weren't that familiar with all of it. It had been a long time since you had seen it. And I know we had talked about um, Indiana Jones and the Last Crusade. A- another one which you said you had not seen all that many times, but well, just I once, think the, rock, yeah. the Rock to me is is – uh, was a little more fun and this this one has Sean Connery in more of a starring role I felt with the Indiana Jones movie he's definitely the star but he's the number two behind Harrison Ford like Indiana Jones is a Harrison Ford movie that Sean Connery is in in a very strong supporting role um, but like you don't get Sean Connery in the Indiana Jones movie till like halfway through whereas with The Rock you don't get Sean Connery until about 40 minutes in but once he's in he's the main guy like he's in every scene after that, even though Nicolas Cage, I got to think Nick Cage had top billing, but uh, the two of them have pretty much equal screen time. I, I'll, I'll bet if you went and actually looked it up. So I want to do this one because it felt more like it was a Sean Connery vehicle. And I didn't want to go all the way back to James Bond, partly because, as we previously discussed, Sean Connery wasn't my favorite Bond. Um, but this... This to me was, and I brought this up when we talked about our Sean Connery list back, you know, a couple episodes ago. This to me was like, well, what if James Bond was still working into his 50s or 60s? I'm not sure how, how old Sean Connery is supposed to be in this movie, but but was still skilled enough to do what he needed to do. And that's to me what this was. This uh, Again, they don't, obviously, his character's name is John Mason, not 
James Bond. And but they do talk about how he's, you know, British SIS and he was a spy and he worked in the 60s and and he's obviously pretty crafty. So, you know, they don't come right out and say he's supposed to be his James Bond character. But if you sort of go in thinking that, you're not going to be disappointed. He does all the stuff in this movie that James Bond does in all the other movies. He gets to be in a helicopter. He gets to be underwater. He gets to shoot guns. He gets to go, you know, he gets to show his ingenuity by using everyday objects in strange ways. He gets to use some tech. He gets to, you know, he gets to do all the things that that you would expect a James Bond character to do, but in the context of this movie. So I thought, you know what? I love this movie. It's a lot of fun. It's a turn your brain off and just enjoy it. Eat your popcorn, watch the movie, have a good time. Explosions everywhere. I mean, we'll have a whole conversation about Michael Bay, I'm sure, as we go through this. Um, Michael Bay knows how to make an entertaining movie. And in my mind, this is a very entertaining movie. So I thought, you know what? Let's go back and revisit it. If you like it, great. If you don't, hey, I got to watch a two-hour Sean Connery movie this week that I knew I was going to enjoy. So it's a win-win for me. Anyway, with that... And turn it over to you. What were your initial thoughts? Well, a couple things just on, to build on what you were just saying. So I would say Sean Connery would have been 64, 65 years old when he shot this because he died uh, in 2020. He was 90 and this came out in 96. Um, as you pointed out, I mentioned last week that I thought when you mentioned this, I thought I saw this in the theater. But then when I watched it this week, I didn't. I'd never seen this movie before. I don't know why. Oh, really? Yeah. Oh, for good. some reason, I thought like, well, I think I, I think I saw that in the theater for whatever reason when you mentioned it. But no, I'd never seen it before. So uh, uh, it, it is what it is. Um, and it was quite enjoyable. Like, it oh, was, good. It was an enjoyable film. Like, you know, it is what it is. It's one of those kind of big Hollywood splash movies with, you know, lots of explosions and all this going on. So it was, it was quite enjoyable. Um so Nick Cage, I want to talk about first of all, because you mentioned him. I saw somewhere recently, I want to say it was on Twitter, um, but somebody had said something like, if you ever met anyone even remotely like one of Nick Cage's characters that he plays in his movies, you'd be talking about that guy for years. <laughs> and it's true. Yeah. Nick Cage is a weirdo. He is a weird, 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 weird guy. But... Um, I will say that I think some of his movies are quite entertaining, um, but don't get me wrong. He's made some absolutely horrific films, too. Yeah. But but a few of them have been entertaining, and but I think for the most part, I think a lot of them are kind of forgettable. And, and, and for me, this movie kind of falls in that category. Like It was very entertaining, but it felt a little bit like empty entertainment. The Rock is the movie equivalent of Chinese food. It's like an hour later and like you're still hungry. You know, it was entertaining. I enjoyed myself, but there wasn't a whole lot of substance to it. But um, no, but that's kind of what Michael Bay is. Did you expect that? No, no. And that that was why I tried to really set that expectation going in. Uh, Another. So to lean on that Nicolas Cage thing, it's like the movie Con Air. You ever seen that one? Uh, No. So I I don't think that one's nearly as good as The Rock, but it is also entertaining. And again, uh, the Nicolas Cage part is meh, it's okay, but it's uh, it's another one where it's just they you know shoot them up and explosions and they're on a stolen plane full of criminals and it's it's another one that's just a while and the movie that one ends with them crashing the plane on the Vegas Strip like it's it's a giant spectacle but it's exactly like you're saying it's uh, it's this one where you have fun while you watch it and then 20 minutes later you're like what did I just watch like yeah. <laughs> it's not that memorable whereas with The Rock I find. It's it's 
at least for me, I found that over the over time, there's a lot of lines that I find I use from this movie just in casual reference. My wife and I, especially, we we throw some of the, we're I mean we're bad for that when it comes to The Simpsons and South Park and Family Guy and Pulp Fiction and Star Wars. There's just some lines in some movies. If you've seen the movie often enough, certain lines start to enter your your everyday vernacular. There's a few lines from The Rock that we actually use a fair amount. So it's always fun for me going back to watch it and go, Oh yeah, that's the context of how that line really worked. Um, so in any case, uh, so give us a little bit more about, uh, sort well, of your, your experience. Well, just, just, just on Nick Cage again for a second, because you, you know, what was that movie he did? I want to say it was called national treasure. Is, is that yeah, right? Part one and part two. Okay. I haven't seen the part two, but I remember the part one because it came out. Um, I remember when the Da Vinci code, the book came out and it was like the biggest thing everybody read. I read it too. Loved the book. Yeah, and right. then when national treasure came out, it was basically a ripoff of the Da Vinci code. It was oh, like it trying totally to find was. it. But yeah. the thing was then they made a movie version of the Da Vinci code and it sucked. It was horrible. And the Nick Cage movie was better than the Da Vinci Code movie was, you know, for for the genre. Um, but but this movie here was interesting because, you know, it's a big splashy action movie, but there's some actors in here with some pretty hefty acting chops. If you think about it, Nicolas Cage has been nominated twice for an Academy Award. He's won once. Um, Ed Harris has been nominated. Sorry, hang on, let me stop there. I need to know this Oscar trivia. So I know mm-hmm. he was nominated and won for Leaving Las Vegas. I'm gonna guess his second nomination was he nominated for Moonstruck? No, and that's what I thought. He was nominated for a, a, adaptation in 2003. Oh, that's nominated, right. Didn't win. He was uh, excellent in that. Yeah. Okay, that's that's fair. I got no bones with that nomination. Then. And Ed Harris was nominated four times. He's never won. Um, starting with Apollo 13 and Truman Show. Uh, the Truman Show, Pollock in 2001, and The Hours in 2003. I never um, would have got The Hours. Yeah, yeah hours. they were all Pollock, for... It was good in Pollock, too, though. Well, Pollock was the first one that he was nominated for an act, Best Actor. The other ones were all Supporting Actor. And then, of course, Sean Connery was nominated and won uh, in 88 for The Untouchables. The Untouchables, yeah. But uh, Michael Bay, the director... I, I, how, why does Michael Bay get to keep on making movies? You know, His movies gross a ridiculous amount of money worldwide. I mean, in all fairness, the, in my opinion, the quality of his movies has gone down considerably, and I think that's in part because of some of the choices he's made. Like, the first Transformers movie was interesting because it's the first time we saw live Transformers, but did we really need four sequels? No. Uh, I don't think so. And you know what? Recasting Marky Mark as the main guy? Hey, I like Mark Wahlberg, but he's another guy who likes to cash in a paycheck. And hey, I, I can't fault him for that, but... Man, Transformers 3, Transformers 4, Transformers 5, really? Do we need all that? Like, no. Um, But Armageddon, uh, it's got to be in my top 30, maybe top 40 all-time favorite movies is Armageddon. I love it. It is. If it's on TV, I'm watching it. It's so over the top. It's so ridiculous. But man, oh man, Michael Bay knows how to make a movie and Armageddon is him at his absolute best, but in, he's in like his own Michael Bay category. And like the mm-hmm. rock is just a warm up to say, okay, I'm going to do this movie about the Alcatraz prison, but don't, don't worry. I'm going to come back and do one about a meteor. That's going to attack the earth. And you're going to see guys going out of space. So this is just like the appetizer. <laughs> Armageddon's the main course. And you'll be getting it in a couple of years. Yes. But, but to put things into song, Pearl Harbor sucked. And I love you. 
I don't know if you ever saw um, yeah. Team America. Oh, Team God, that America, was so, so good. Oh, so good. That's one we need to review on here sometime. Because that's be a, a lot of bleeps. In that. That's a new, newer movie, like in terms of millennial film that I actually thought was fantastic. But so this movie opens up with Ed Harris and he's at his wife's grave and he's saying to her, forgive me, I, I have to do something, you know, right? And then Vanessa Marcel comes in and she's the most beautiful girl in the world because Prince wrote the song about her. Um, the most beautiful girl in the world. I don't know if you knew that, but he wrote I that song that. about her. Um, so the thing is with with Ed Harris, though, going back to him, he talks about how the, the, there's these special ops soldiers that died and he wants to get money to their families and he's trying to do the right thing. But I think bombing San Francisco with chemical warfare isn't really the answer, <laughs> you know? And, well, and yeah, I, through I, the course of the movie, we sort of uh, realized that uh, but yeah, at the beginning, you're sort of thinking, really? I know it's a mindless action movie, but for me, that was a bit of a flimsy premise. The only thing I will say is that Ed Harris, you know, also uses the script, you know, to his best advantage. But, you know, he at least at least his character wasn't completely one dimensional because right at the beginning, I think he says to these kids that are there on the tour, he's like, get back to the boat, get away. So so yeah, so that was that was kind of cool, I guess. But I, I, I just I found it a little bit hard to believe the motivation for Harris and especially for the men that followed him because I just didn't feel like that was a, a strong enough reason for them to risk everything, you know, killing millions of people to get, you know, some reparations for fallen soldiers, families. I don't know. I just, well, I, I mean, through the, again, through the course of the movie and towards the end, it becomes clearer that these soldiers are with him because they've been promised a payday. So it's, yeah, the threat is we need money for the families of these fallen soldiers, but it, I guess the intent was also, and there's going to be a whole bunch left over, which we're going to keep for ourselves. Mm -hmm. They don't come right out and say that, but towards the end of the movies, the guys, the, the people under him even say, we stopped being soldiers and we started being mercenaries and mercenaries get paid for what they do. So I, I think that's sort of the implication we're supposed to get by the end of the movie. But you're right. At the beginning, we don't have that information. So you're you're sort of taking it on faith that mm -hmm. these guys are loyal to this man because they believe in his cause. They feel that he is a strong leader. At least that's my impression of what you're supposed to think at the beginning. And one thing, too, you know, we're always talking about the different generations on this podcast. This is something that probably dates the movie because if this movie came out now they just run a GoFundMe, right? And there'd, yeah. there'd be no movie. It'd just be Nick Cage checking his phone for updates on you know how the how the GoFundMe was getting to its well, goal. Or you'd have something like WikiLeaks or or social media where if there was this this real atrocity that was done to these soldiers that were killed on this illegal co-op coverted mission, uh, again. Obviously, there's military rules about things like that. But if it went as bad as as it's sort of implied, I think if this movie took place 15 or 20 years later when social media is a real thing, it, you couldn't you wouldn't necessarily expect the same outcome. It wouldn't be that this is this tight secret and we want this money or we're going to expose this. I think it would be almost the other way around where at the beginning you would see them exposing this these this information and then that would sort of set everything in motion. But again, we're we're getting away from what the movie mm -hmm. actually is as to what it could could be or could have been if it was done a little bit differently. Right. So Ed Harris goes and takes over Alcatraz, right? And kind of, you know, 
sets up shop there and he's going to, you know, take these hostages and do all this stuff. And then the FBI, they're talking about his character. And the guy mentions him and he's like, he's got three purple, three purple hearts, two silver stars. And I turn to my wife and I go, and a partridge in a pear tree. <laughs> just the, <laughs> the way that guy just delivered that line, it just struck yeah. me as funny. But um, a couple of characters that I noticed right away at the beginning of the movie and was Bookman from Seinfeld. I know you're not a big Seinfeld guy, but the librarian in, I want to say it was season two or three, uh, who comes to collect the library finds from Jerry was was one of the FBI guys. And also one of the other guys, I recognize him right away. I turned to my wife, I said, that guy was in Footloose. And she's like, what? What are you talking about? She gets her phone out and she goes on IMDb and she's like, oh my God, you're right. <laughs> like he was, um, I don't remember his character's name in Footloose. He was one of the secondary guys, but he was uh, kind of one of the tough guys in the, in the group. But anyway, um, so Sean Connery is the main character because he's the only guy that's ever broken out of Alcatraz. So they recruit him to help break in. Right. And that's kind of the premise of the film. Yeah. And I love the scene where they send Nick Cage into the interrogation room to try and cut the deal with Sean Connery. Yeah. And he says to him again, another thing to date that the movie, uh, uh, Nick Cage says, you need a haircut unless you're a 20 year old guitarist from Seattle. And the funny thing is, is Sean Connery doesn't know what he's talking about because he's been locked up for so many years. And the audience today probably wouldn't know what he's talking about because they're too young to remember the grunge scene. So I thought that was kind of a funny, funny bit there. Um, and then they go to the hotel and Sean Connery is out on the balcony getting his haircut. I don't know if you noticed this, but the skyline of San Francisco was so fake. You could uh, I, totally I tell it was a painting. Oh, really? Okay. Oh, you got to go back and watch it. it. I was like, look, it's like a painting. Like, you could just tell. It was just so fake looking. I don't know what the heck it was, but... I love I love that uh, the, the scene where the guy, where he gets his haircut and the barber comes. That's one of the ones where they're like, you can't use scissors with scissors. This man could kill you. And he's like, no scissors. Did they tell Picasso? No brushes. Yeah, because so. that's that same guy that when when Connery like busts out and he runs in, yeah. into, into him in the elevator and the guy's like, I never saw anything like don't kill me. I didn't see you throw that guy off the balcony. All I want to know is, did you like your haircut? Yeah, and and just the way that whole scene is played is another example of how even in 1996 they're just playing homosexuality for laughs. Yeah, like that yeah. whole scene, the way they played it. Like again, it's just we keep running into these same themes over and over with these older movies. But um, the other thing I wanted to mention: the car chase. So they they, they chase down the alley, and Sean the Connery exceptionally gratuitous car oh, chase that really was totally unnecessary. But Michael Bay wanted to race cars <laughs> through San Francisco. You could tell that Sean, one, Sean. Yeah, the one Sean Connery's got the the SUV. I think Nick Cage is driving a Ferrari, and. Yeah, and then they're going down the alley, and I turn to my wife, and I go, Fruit stand. I don't know if you if you saw it. Um, she had no idea what I was talking about. But if, if you remember on our uh, pop culture pet peeves episode, um, every, literally every movie that has a car chase in it, one of the cars hits a fruit stand. And it happened in the alley. They hit a fruit stand in the middle of this alley. And then at the end of the chase, it's, it's quite a quite an elaborate scene and then when the trolley car flips over and it's skidding down the street like it's quite an ending it hits a fruit stand too so it was like a double fruit stand (laughs) so that michael bay's got gonna go go big go big right (laughs) i i then i like the pacing because then after this huge scene sean connery meets up with his daughter and i like that scene because nick cage sees that's why he escaped 
you know? And so he lets him save face with her because he's like, oh, your dad's working with the FBI on this big case. So, you know, immediately now they've got this bond, you know, and, and Sean Connery trusts him, right? Yeah, yeah. And then um, they go to Alcatraz and I like how Sean Connery rolls through the blast furnace and those rotating gears because he says he memorized the timing for the gears and the fire that comes down. The from- completely unnecessary rotating gears with fire. <laughs> it's still working in a place where they no longer have prisoners. So probably don't need whatever it is that machine is producing. And, and yeah. it's been like 30 years and he still memorizes exactly the timing of how to roll yeah. through it. Like, okay. Yeah. So um, I will say this. So at this point, my wife turns to me and she says, well, you know what? Yeah. Finally got us a good movie to watch. Good. There and, you go. And well, then she promptly fell asleep. <laughs> She's not a lot of fun to watch. Did she ever go back and rewatch Pleasantville? Uh, no. No, she never did. She fell. She falls well, asleep every single movie. One day when she's more awake, you can have her do the double feature. You can have her watch Pleasantville and The Rock. Yeah. Um, and then the, um, the, the big, another big scene that comes up is when there's that standoff between the FBI and the SEAL team. And um, uh, in the shower. Yeah, and like it's that bloodbath, and yep. only Cage and Connery survive, you know, from the FBI team. Um, and then that, that's, I think that's where we learn Sean Connery has all of the FBI secrets. Like he knows the truth about the JFK assassination and the Roswell landing and all this. And then, it's not until they get captured and they're in the cells, because that's when he's like, What are you in, oh, what are you right. in for? And he goes, It's a long story. He goes, Well, we're not going anywhere. But but yeah, you you get the sense that there's more to it. The one that the thing that got me was um, uh, I think Nick Cage says something. Well, I'm going to try my best, and Sean Connery says, "Losers always talk about doing their best, but winners go home and bleep the prom queen." And I'm like, yeah. I, I turn to my wife. I'm like, Sean Connery just said the f word. Yeah. <laughs> like I'm like that's oh what, that's one of the lines we quote around here all the time. Your best losers <laughs> always want, and you do it in your Sean Connery. Your best losers always. <laughs> Out that best, and it's like, yeah, because my wife's family's Scottish, so she could really do it well, and uh, yeah, we we use that. That's one of the lines we quote all the time. Carla was the prom queen. Then he cocks the weapon. Well, and yeah, that's a thing. Like, not only is there gratuitous language, but the violence in it. Because he he goes down oh, on the ground oh and he God. he shoots the guy in the feet. And then, and then, like, blows his feet off, and then that safe falls that on the guy. That conditioning thing falls on him? Like, and, and then his foot's sticking out, and it's twitching, and then... Oh, that was so good. Nick Cage is like, um, I haven't really been around a lot of corpses. Uh, is that normal? Like, can you make that stop? And Sean Connery says, what, you mean kill him again? <laughs> like, <laughs> it just it just glorifies the violence, you yeah. know? Oh, it totally... It, again, again, it is a product of its time, right? Like, right. this was the mid-90s. Like, it, this was where... Like, think about what TV and movies were in the 80s, where you still had a a very strong conservative idea about what could be shown on on public TV, what could be said on the radio. And then you're starting to come into the 90s and you're getting the the start of sort of the the, uh, wouldn't be the Gen X, it would be the the millennial generation, I suppose, Mm -hmm. where you're getting a little bit more of that that counterculture. You're getting alternative culture. You're getting things like grunge music, which we just talked about, and you're getting – uh, you know, you're pushing boundaries more. You're getting independent filmmaking and and people's acceptance of of pushing the envelope is 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 going a little farther. And so, of course, artists. Sure, we'll call Mark Bay an artist. I mean, he is um, artists will uh, try to push it ever so much farther than the last guy. And I think that's what we saw in the 90s was this like 
overabundance of absolute gratuitous violence, this explosions, the shoot 'em ups, the bad language, like, and it just escalated. And then it got to a point where people just became so desensitized to it. You almost had to go the other way. And then, you, you know, it's like those over the top explosions and shoot 'em up movies sort of died down and you got more of like the drama period type pieces. But anyway, that's a whole other thing. But yeah, this was like right at the peak of what can we do next? Oh, let's have something blow up. Oh, well, we already did that. Let's have two somethings blow up. Oh, yeah, I love that. So, well, and maybe it's just me, but like I, I felt this movie was actually pretty gory in parts. Mm-hmm. And and like you said, it almost glorifies the violence. And then the, the thing is, and we've talked about this before, you know, most people from this era, they they, they mention, uh, they point to Tarantino. They say, well, he glorifies violence. He never glorifies violence yeah. in his films. Never. Because he always shows the consequences of the violence. Um, the, the, the famous scene in Reservoir Dogs, when the cop gets his ear cut off, you don't see it. Camera turns away. Right. But you know what you do see? The consequences of it. The guy with his ear missing and talking about his family and how he's bleeding and he's, you know, he's mangled and all this. But movies like this, they just glorify the violence, I think. And I will say, like, it's a big, splashy Hollywood action movie, but this is not for kids. Like, no, no, no. This like, is definitely a restricted, hard restricted. Oh, yeah. For sure. Blood and gore and Sean Connery dropping F-bombs like a drunken sailor. <laughs> like, the, and the yeah. thing is, these kind of movies, they don't exist anymore, do they? No, no, I was going to say, I think I, I, again, I don't know, but I would suspect that the rock did well. I remember seeing the theater. I remember it being a big hit. I remember when it came out on video, it was a huge hit on video. Um, and then what was the next big Michael Bay thing to come up was Armageddon. Well, Armageddon was a PG 13. The violence in there is more like spaceship violence. The, the, the bad language is really toned down. Um, I don't think there's any nudity in Armageddon. And I think, a large part of that, again, I don't know for certain, but I'm guessing it was a combination of he had already sort of hit his maximum peak with the gratuitous violence and sort of I got to think was like, well, we got to tone it back down to try and, you know, uh, we, we can't really go any higher. Let's start to bring it back down. And the other thing is dollars and cents. If there's that much blood and violence and, and gore and shoot 'em ups and explosions uh, and wanton destruction and bad language you've got to get a restricted rating. Well, that's going to hurt your box office because you can't have teenagers and young children coming into a restricted movie. If it's PG-13 and you throw Ben Affleck and Liv Tyler in it and Bruce Willis, who everyone loves from Die Hard, of course you can get all your teenagers in it and you're making more money. So I, I, I think that's a large part of why these kind of these kinds of movies don't didn't stick around and you don't see them all that often is it comes down to box office. Like look at the the Marvel Cinematic Universe. They're the, they're the biggest money-making movies of the last... 10, 15, 20 years. Well, 10, 10 anyway. They're all rated PG or PG-13. Like they know enough to not make a restricted movie and hurt their box office. And I think I think that's a lesson that the people who made The Rock learned and went, this made a lot of money, but this probably could have made a lot more money if it had been a little toned down and was a PG-13. <clears throat> no, and it's a good point because if you look at the box office from 96, The Rock finished fourth. It made 134 million dollars, and which is great, you know. But from a, for a from a studio perspective, it could have made more because Independence Day was first that year, and it made 306 million. 
So Independence Day was PG and The Rock was R, you know, and even Twister was second and Mission Impossible was third and both of those were PG movies, but they made a lot more money. So it's it's a matter of you're going to make money, but how much money do you want to make? If you want to make more, like you said, you need to be PG to get those kind of teenage bums in the seats, right? Um, I have a question for you. There's there's a scene with, and I always have questions about these movies because I miss stuff. Um, There's a scene where... Harris calls the, on the, on the walkie-talkie. I think it's when the guy gets crushed and his legs twitching. Yeah, yeah. And he calls him on the walkie-talkie, and no one answers. And he turns, and he's like, "Someone's there. Let's go." I'm wondering, like, how did he know someone was there? Is it just because the guy didn't answer? I, yeah, I think the idea is that these guys are are so hardcore military that they're going to do everything they they would need to do, and they would be given instructions. And if your superior officer tells you to do something, uh. you do it. And we've already sort of loosely seen that they have been checking in like early at one other point someone says like oh they're not they, you know this checkpoint hasn't called in or maybe that was that part where he says this checkpoint hasn't called in so I, I think again it's the the idea that they're disciplined they're military and the only reason you would not do what you've been told to do is if there's a problem and they just shot up all those guys in the in the basement and they didn't necessarily know if anybody had survived so I think being a, a good leader mm-hmm. and being a military guy he was just like let's let's draw this conclusion um, and uh, you know, if he's wrong, no big deal. But if he's right, get the jump on her as fast as you can. That, that and, was always my take right. on it. And, and, and you know, his instincts are right because Connery and Cage survived, and then they go after them and they jump in this mine cart. And it reminded me of the scene in Temple of Doom. Temple of Doom, yeah, for sure. With, with Indian short round, but. Connery hides in the cart and the bullets can't penetrate it because it's like really, really thick. Yeah. Um, but what I didn't understand was where did he get the gas from to light the guy on fire? They gave it to him on the helicopter. Everyone else was getting like guns and night vision goggles oh, and the guy who was like his babysitter, okay. he oh. goes, that's what he said. He goes, you get the waterproof matches and the lighter fluid. And like almost like, oh, you're okay. never going to find a practical use for those things. Those aren't dangerous. Yeah. God, I'm a little Again, dense. I'm a, I'm a little think, dense, but you know. it's like I've said before. You know, uh, Writer's Craft 101. If you talk about a shotgun yeah. hanging over the fireplace in Act One, by Act Three, someone better shoot that shotgun. Well, mm. this was the same thing. They set it up on the airplane. You knew he was going to use it eventually. Here we go. We get a gratuitous death of a guy being uh, burned to death in, in a fire. Mm. So. Well, I guess in my defense, I write a lot of notes while I'm watching the movie, so I miss a thing here and there. But uh, the, the one of the bad guys throws a grenade in the cart and just the way Nick Cage grabs it and throws it back it reminded me of Chevy Chase in Spies Like Us when he threw the grenade back at the Russians I don't know why it just reminded me of that scene but um, then anyway so Nick Cage saves Sean Connery's life right because the guy's like choking him out and yeah, yeah. so then you know okay this this is setting this all up and then I, I like the scene when when Sean Connery and, and, and Ed Harris confront each other and they're both quoting philosophy back and mm-hmm. forth and mm-hmm. I really liked Sean Connery's line and and, it, and this is not you know the type of movie where you'd expect decent dialogue but there was a really good line and he says you don't honor the memory of the fallen with the blood of the living you know yeah I don't I thought it was a great line and, and again I, I thought the overall premise was kind of weak but you know I guess they had to drive the movie forward with it but but the thing was my wife I remember she turns to me and she's like well why doesn't the government just pay them the money like why risk the terror attack but like I was saying her I think it had something to do with the president had a personal policy not to negotiate with terrorists yeah that's always the standard operating procedure yeah. in the US yeah it's what's a, well, a long standing policy of a lot of western governments right when it comes to 
terrorists or hostage situations, but the, it's so funny, and it's a Michael Bay thing in the, the movie, when the president is giving his speech, like the deadline's already passed and the president gives this long speech. It's like, hurry up, yeah. people are gonna die. Like, like stop, shut up, you know? But uh, it turns out it was all a bluff, right? Because yeah. Harris redirected the, 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 the rocket after it was launched. And then great scene with the Mexican standoff which I love. Mm-hmm. It's been used mm-hmm. in lots of movies before. Like yeah, I remember yeah. it was in the, the good, the bad and the ugly back yep. in 66 and Tarantino, he doesn't really, he did it in Reservoir Dogs. Um, that was just a couple of years before this one came out. And then John Woo used to use it a lot in the films that yeah. uh, he made in Hong Kong before he came to Hollywood. But the Mexican standoff, it never ends well. <laughs> you know, that's no. the whole point, right? It's a no win situation. Yep. But uh, then Nick Cage fires the rocket and blasts the bad guy out the window and then he gets like impaled on the pole again just that gratuitous yeah. violence yeah it's gore. Like, did we really need that i'm like sure i mean when i saw it i went oh like it got a reaction out of me which was it's a, that's the point that's the intention right you know, you're already going over the top well let's just ratchet it from 10 to 11 done but here the, you go we're gonna impale thing, him on a spike the thing for me was not only was there a lot of violence in this movie there's a lot of profanity in this movie like I, I'm not, I'm hardly a prude, but man, oh man, there was a lot of f bombs in this movie. Like it was, like it was crazy how much swearing there was in it. But, um, and then I love the end when, uh, you know, it's kind of all over, and Nick Cage tells the FBI that Sean Connery was incinerated by the yep. bomb, which allows Sean Connery to kind of escape from the rock one last time. You know, so again, very metaphoric, right? Yeah, and then. Um, uh, Nick Cage and Vanessa Marcel go to the church in Kansas and because Sean Connery told them to go there and they get that tube of microfilm and it's got all the FBI secrets on it. Yeah. So it's kind of kind of kind of cool, you know. He's like, you know, hey, guess who killed JFK or whatever. So it was like I say it was a lot of fun to watch. I enjoyed it. Yeah, I thought it was good. It was kind of mindless. It was it was kind of forgettable in a lot of ways, but uh, I enjoyed it. I thought it was good. So, it was a good so pick. if you had to give it a score out of 10, what would you give it? I'd probably give it a 7. Yeah, I'm a little more than that. I'd say probably a 7.5. Yep. Maybe an 8 on a really good day, but I think 7.5. Yeah, that's solid. I mean, again, it's I hadn't seen it in its entirety in quite some time, a number of years. It's not one that you see on TV that often, but of course, now that we've reviewed it, I'm sure I'll see it in the lineup in the next two weeks. And I, I, I think part of the reason you don't see it on TV often is because of the violence, because of the And the swears. profanity, yeah. So it's like a channel like AMC or TBS generally doesn't show movies that have, you know, that aren't quote unquote family friendly. Like this would mm-hmm. need a lot of editing to make it a Big little time. more palatable for a wide audience. So you're limited to certain specialty movie channels where they don't cut things as much or they can get away with showing some of the violence, but maybe we'll bleep out the swears. So that's probably why you're not seeing this one on TV as often. But uh, no, I, I enjoy it. And uh, it's one of those uh, one of those rewatchable movies for me. Like I, like I said, I bought it on two medium. I bought it on uh, Laserdisc, which now is, you know, a giant 12-inch coaster since my player doesn't work. And uh, I still have the Criterion DVD. And I can remember when I got this Criterion DVD, I spent the next week going through and watching all the special features and I, I think there's two audio commentaries on there I listen to them not like back to back but I find with the audio commentaries on most movies you have to really know the movie and really enjoy the movie so that you can actually watch it again and not hear the dialogue and actually hear the people talking about it and, and care enough to keep it on for two hours like I was surprised I didn't remember this movie being this long it's two hours and 15 minutes yeah it's quite long 
You're yeah, right. I, I, I remember because I, I just split it up over two, uh, two viewings today. And so I watched for an hour the first time. And then when I came back after dinner, I thought, I probably got about 45 minutes to go. Because, I, again, I sort of knew what was coming. And then I sat down and watched it. It's about half an hour in. And I was like, OK, well, I'm 90 minutes into this movie now. And I there's still a lot to come up. And then I hit the little button on my remote. And it's like, you have 45 minutes to go. Like, Holy cow. But uh but no, I enjoyed it. It's not one of these ones that I felt dragged. You know, sometimes you get these movies, you're like, oh my God, when is yeah. it going to end? Oh my God, there's 20 minutes to go. I, I, this is not not that. And I find Michael Bay is pretty good with the pacing. He, mm-hmm. he, again, it's it's his style, right? It's this. It's these fast-paced explosions, shoot them up, blow it up. Uh, you know, your hero saves the world kind of movie. Even with Armageddon, which we may have to watch at some point down the future for this podcast. Mm-hmm. He has these like awesome action sequences where lots happens. But again, much like we've said, he knows how to pace the movie where you have all this go, go, go. And then you have a little a little lull where there's some character development and some some dialogue to set up the next thing. And and I felt The Rock did that very well, where it, it really balanced the the slower parts with the action scenes and uh, but not to the point where it slowed it down, where you're like, OK, I'm done. So, yeah. And uh, yeah, I, I agree with pretty much everything you said, like some of the movies you've nominated. I've kind of thought that, like, I'm like, when's this going to be over? But this one was actually pretty good. Like, it, it was it was entertaining, like I say. It's just kind of forgettable. But anyway. What did you think about Sean Connery's performance overall? Uh, I thought it was pretty good. Um, I think, you know, he... He was the he was definitely the right person to cast for this movie. I couldn't imagine anyone else being in the role. I, I find Nick Cage, like I said, is a bit of a weirdo. And it's it's interesting that Nick Cage has kind of found himself as being kind of an action kind of guy with this movie, like you said, in Con Air and National Treasure. Because he's not what I would think to be like an action star. But I thought Connery was pretty good. He was perfectly cast for this movie yeah i think that's one of the reasons i had this on my list as as one of my favorite connery movies is i thought it was good casting i thought he he clearly was having fun with it like he didn't take it seriously to the point where you know how sometimes with these movies like you have one actor who's taking it super seriously and everyone else is just having a good time with it that wasn't the case here like he clearly was having a good time with it as i think most of the performers in this one were so no, I, I really thought he did a good job. And I think, interestingly, like if I was working on this film, like from a script point of view, I wouldn't think that Sean Connery would be my first pick to play that part. But he was perfect for it. Like I just, But I just don't think he would have been my first pick. Like I wouldn't have yeah. thought of him to do that part. But uh, no, he was great for it. So anyway, on that note, let's have some fun with Caveman. All right, so we're wrapping up our Sean Connery appreciation. Uh, we, As I mentioned, we did our best performances of Sean Connery, uh, followed up by Time Bandits last week and The Rock this week. Um, Derek, last week you mentioned Sean Connery had like 94 acting credits on his IMDb. And so he's obviously worked with a wide range of co-stars over the years. So here's what I'm going to do. Oh. We're going to play a game called One Degree of Sean Connery. Okay. Okay. So I'm just gonna. I did. I did this for you on one of the previous shows. Uh, you did a similar thing. Mine's a little yeah, different. Okay. Uh, I'm gonna mention a co-star, and you just mentioned the title of the movie that featured Sean Connery. So no oh trick questions. Okay. I, I I do not know a lot of Sean Connery's early work, so mm-hmm. this is going to be a train wreck. So. I I think you're going to do very well. Uh, I do not. My I, I'm guess how many it's how many questions you got? Ten, fifteen questions? Yeah, about ten or eleven questions. You're going to do good. I, I, 
If the over and under is five, I'm taking the under all day long. I don't know about that. I mean, there's all no. All right. Okay. Let, I'm not going to trick you with anything. Everyone I mentioned has been in a movie with Sean Connery. And okay. I was going to start off with Kevin Bacon, you know, to, to see if Sean Connery was one degree of I, Kevin I don't Bacon. Think that they have been in a movie no, together. No, they were no. never in a movie together. Oh, by all right, the way, good. I got, that's one. Bonus question. Ding, ding. I, I should mention, I'm four degrees of Kevin Bacon. Okay. Yeah, Paul Savage was on my old TV show with me, and Leslie Nielsen worked with Paul Savage in Men with Brooms, and then Leslie Nielsen was with Greg Henry in The Patriot, and Greg Henry worked with Kevin Bacon in Super. So I'm four degrees of Kevin Bacon. Just thought I'd mention that. Anyway, I'm going to mention the co-star. You just tell me the title of the film that they were in with Sean Connery, and they're easy, okay? First one, Alec Baldwin. Yes. Sorry, you want the name of the movie, right? Yes, the movie. Hunt for Red October. The Hunt for Red October is correct. So you just got to name the movie. These are easy. Ursula Andress. Yeah, I don't know who that is. Oh, my God. It's Dr. No. She was the first Bond sure. girl. Oh, I thought you would get the one. All right, here's an easy one because I gave it to you last week. Michael Caine. Michael Caine. Uh, that was um, that was your number one pick there. That was uh, The Man Who Would Be King. Very good. Congratulations. See, you got this. Was that the only movie they were in together? I believe so. Okay. All right. Peter Boyle. Peter Boyle. Which movie did yeah. Peter Boyle? Um, oh, my God. It was from 81. Oh, that doesn't help me. Uh, I don't know. It was in space? Oh, that was uh, Outlander. Outland, 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 Outland. Sorry, not the Scottish time travel one. Yeah, no, Outlanders, yeah. yeah. Okay. My wife watches that crap. Yeah, my wife read all the books. (laughs) All right. Kim Basinger. Yeah, she was in the Bond remake, Never Say Never Again. Very good. See, you're doing okay. Robert De Niro. Hmm. Robert De Niro and Sean Connery, you said. Oh, um... The Untouchables. Yes. See, were they actually in a scene together? Uh, it doesn't matter. They were in the same movie. Okay. That's all that matters. Okay. Richard Gere. Oh, that was the stupid Sir Lancelot King Arthur one. That was called the something nights. The, the first night. Yeah, it was first night. Very good. Yeah, I saw that in the theater. It was terrible. All right. Roy Scheider. What movie did Roy Scheider do oh, with Sean Jaws? I'll give you a hint. It was not Jaws 2. No. Um, oh, boy. Hmm. I don't know. The Russia House. Sure. Okay. Christopher. I've it, but I've never seen it. Christopher Lambert. Which movie did Christopher Lambert do with Sean Connery? I don't know. It was Highlander. Highlander. Oh, I'm like... I was thinking Christopher Plummer. Mm. Christopher Lambert. Right, All right here's right. an easy one for you. Ving Rames. Ving Rames. And Sean Connery? Yes. You mentioned it the other week. Jeez. Uh, really? He's in it with Ving Rames and also with Catherine Zeta Jones's butt. Oh, <laughs> that's uh, entrapment. That is grabbing this. I got it on big rames, I swear. Okay. Dennis Quaid. What movie did he do with Dennis Quaid? Sean Connery, Dennis Quaid. Uh, the, the, the Rose one? The something Rose? It was Dragonheart. Okay. Dragonheart. Oh, yeah, right. He was just the voice in that one, though. That's right. 
Uma Thurman. What movie did he do with Uma Thurman? And I'll give you a hint. It was not a Marvel Cinematic Universe film. No, I don't think Sean Connery was ever in the Marvel Universe. No, but it's got a similar title. Thurman. Was it the Lee of Extraordinary Gentlemen? No, it's The Avengers. Oh, yes. Yes, The Avengers, similar to the MCU. theater, too. It was terrible. And the last one, this one's going to be, I want to give you a hard one, the last one, but all these seem to be hard. Albert Finney. What movie did he do with Albert Finney? Albert Finney was the lead role. Finney from... Tom Jones, eh? He was uh, Albert yeah. Finney. That's him. Yeah. Hmm. It was after Tom Jones. It was in 74. Yeah, it doesn't help me. Uh, I don't know. Murder on the Orient Express. Sure. I had no idea Sean Connery was even in that. Yeah. Yeah. So, so, so there you go. So you got some of them, some of the ones you didn't yeah, get. I, I, yeah. No, I knew I was not going to do well on that. Well, I, I, I thought you might have done okay. Like, the, the thing that triggered me was when you mentioned that he had like 90 plus credits on his uh, IMDb yeah. page. I was like, wow, he did a lot of movies that I, I didn't think he did that many movies, but you know, well, and that's what I said when we did our, our top five list, you think yeah. that many to pick from, it shouldn't be hard. But then I started thinking, which ones have I seen? And there was a lot that were, I don't want to say they were crap. Although some of them probably were <laughs> somewhere. <laughs> there were some that were not that great and it's, or, or he wasn't the star. So I wouldn't call it a quote unquote, Sean Connery movie. Right. But uh, anyway, so that was not bad. You know, you know, it didn't do terrible, you know. Yeah. But um, so next week, what we're going to do is going to come back and do a topic show. So we'll come back with another top five list uh, for next week. And if you want to reach out to Derek, you're going to find him on Twitter at Amaron underscore DM. And you'll find me on Twitter at C McBrien. That's I-E-N. And popgoesyourworld.com is our website with all of our contact information. You can find our email on there. You shoot us an email. And uh until next show, this is Chris McBrien for Derek Meyer saying thanks for listening to Pop Goes Your World, the pop culture podcast for the generations. Thanks for listening to Pop Goes Your World. You can contact Chris and Derek at popgoesyourworld.com. Please take a minute and review the podcast on iTunes or wherever you download and listen to the show. 